0: Well, good morning and welcome to Disciples Christian Fellowship. As always, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today, even though nobody's sitting on the front row. Please greet the family of God seated around you by saying, faith is our victory. Faith is our victory. Excellent. My name is Bear Deardorf. I'm one of two teaching ministers here. Brother Weston Eden is the other. We are your volunteer servant leaders called to uh, shepherd you in the word of God. And uh, we want to present that to any and all who will listen. So to hear any sermons that you might have missed, or to give them to others um, and share them with others, you may simply log on to our website at www.dcf-church.org, and you can click on your favorite podcast channel. We're glad that you're here with us today, both in person and online. Let's please welcome our online listeners by saying, welcome, online family. Welcome, online family. Oh, That's nice. If you're listening online, just share your prayer requests with us and your praise reports with us, if you would, by sending an email to Weston, which is W-E-S-T-O-N at dcf-church.org, or to Bear, me, uh, that's B-E-A-R at dcf-church.org. Either way, we will get your uh, prayer requests or praise reports, and we would love to hear from you. Let's, um, let's all just uh, say one word that they can send to us if they are in Russia. And that is Vira Nosha Pobida. Vira Nosha Pobida. Excellent. Well done. That's faith is our victory right there. So that's in Russian. So um, great to uh, great to be able to share sometimes a little alternate language for those who are listening away from here in the United States. Uh, Right now, I'm going to turn it over to Brother Duffy Deerdorf, who is going to share with us a tidbit. You know what tidbit means?
1: Look, Marcy. A pleasing, a pleasing morsel. So I hope a morsel for you this morning. It's inspired by the scripture in First Thessalonians five, verse eleven: Encourage one another and build each other up, just as you are doing. Notice the, the tendency at the end of this is to reflect on the fact that they already are encouraged but this jesus happened and then can do that all of us need fellowship all of us need encouragement time. we need to remember our job is to encourage others <laughs> and comfort others we should do that really every day have thank god for the people he has gone alongside of you during your trials Hmm. Ask him to show how you can best encourage others. And the tip is from Emily Barnes, who wrote, somebody needs your encouragement. Somebody needs your support.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Amen. That's a good word. Thank you, Brother Duffy. And um, we're going to look at a new book today, Romans, the book of Romans. We're going to start um, this new series. And before we do, I want to recap what was preached last week by Brother Weston. His sermon was entitled Holy, 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 and it was on, of course, holiness. So here are his main points of application from last week. If you missed it, uh, please check it out online. If you need the notes for it, uh, we can provide those notes to you. Just email us. We will make sure you have notes. Uh, but it was from uh, 1 Peter 1:13 through 16 that he put quite a few of his points of his application. So uh, 1 Peter 1:13 through 16 said, prepare your minds for action and be sober minded. That was his first point. Prepare your minds for action and be sober minded. Number two, set your hope fully on the grace in Christ. And number three, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And number four, you shall be holy for God is holy. So point uh, then his major point number two uh, was read and study your Bible. Good point. Point number three, stay in fellowship with like-minded believers. That means people who believe as you do, who have the same doctrine and the same heart for Christ that you do. And number four, pray continually. All very good points. And... Uh, God's holiness really uh, requires us to be holy. And we'll get into a little bit more of that today. Both of the last two weeks, the week that I preached prior to that on the fear of God and repentance and the week that Weston just preached on holiness, those both go hand in glove with what we're doing in Romans. So it's very good as a as an introductory thing before we get into uh, the book of Romans. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible or you know somebody in need of one, we want you to keep the Bible that we will hand out to you as our gift to you um, or a friend or a loved one who might be in need of God's word. So anybody need one? Nope. Good. You all have your sword. Yay. All right. Let us examine together how this letter from Paul, the apostle, to the Christians in Rome is constructed, um, what it teaches and what we should understand from it. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans 1. We're going to cover verses 1 through 17 this morning only. And I will read it first from the New American Standard, and then I'm going to break it down further using the ESV. <clears throat> so be ready to turn to other passages for cross-referencing. cross And uh, please take notes uh, as we go through this book, if you can. If you're one of those kind of people who can't take notes, I get it. You can always refer back to the teaching on the podcast. But if you can... Take notes, and that's why we hand out these notes, uh, you know, every week. This study in Romans will hopefully be one that you'll want to revisit again and again in the future, and hopefully um, the Lord will speak to you through this today. Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do, not want you, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit from among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So before I go into breaking this down a little bit and talking about some different points, Let's first look at the time, the place, and the authorship of this book and the reason uh, that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. He is assumed to be the author of this book. And we know he is writing it to all of the Roman believers because he says "Who are all the believers who are loved by God and called to be his saints in Rome. He tells us that in verse 7, but we'll get to that in a moment. When he wrote this letter full of doctrinal teaching and wisdom, from where did he write it? So Paul is believed to have been staying in the house of Gaius while on his third missionary journey in the Greek city of Corinth during the winter of sometime uh, around 56 to 58 AD. Uh, that's when he authored this letter. It was during his third missionary journey from Corinth. This letter was written when Paul was about to set out from, uh, for Jerusalem uh, from Corinth. So see, and you can see that in Romans 15, 25, where he says, "'At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints.'" So he had not yet gone there, but he was about to go to Jerusalem. Paul also considers himself to have completed his missionary work among the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire. Uh, Romans 15, 19, he says, I have fulfilled ministry in this area. So he has fulfilled the ministry in this area is what he says. And in Romans 15, 23, he says, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. So he's going to be moving on. Um, uh, but you know, he wants to go and visit Rome one more time. Okay but he's going to be moving on. Therefore, this journey is probably the one which was recorded in Acts chapters um, 20 and 21, which we recently studied when we went through Acts. Uh, So it began in Corinth, and we studied that a few weeks ago. And Paul desired to go to Rome, but he had been prevented. Okay, So now he hopes to go there on his way to Spain, but first he's going to Jerusalem with a love offering for the poor uh, from the Gentile churches that are in Corinth. And that's the idea of of how he's, he wants to go see the Romans really badly, and he tells them that, but he's been prevented in the past, and now he's trying to work that out. So he's working out his itinerary. Therefore, in, in view of Paul's setting, Corinth seems to be the place from which he wrote this letter, and it was a letter of instruction for the churches in Rome for the purpose of explaining that salvation is offered through grace, by faith, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this book was likely transcribed by Tertius, uh, Bishop of Iconium, his traveling companion at the time, who was counted among the 70 apostles traditionally held to be sent out in the first century church. Okay, Now we know Paul was temporarily blinded at the sight of Jesus uh, on the Damascus Road. right? We remember talking about his conversion experience. And so he may have had some long-lasting eyesight issues from that experience. We know that he had something that appeared to be like scales on his eyes that when he went to Ananias, they fell off. But um, there may have been, you know, eyesight issues, as Galatians 4.15 and Galatians 6.11 seem to suggest. But we know that he had writing issues, <laughs> for sure, uh, which may have been a result of his poor eyesight. So, because he wrote with a large hand, he says, I, I write, see which large letters I write with. Um, so it's commonly believed that he um, normally employed the use of a amunensis, amu Nuance it's a hard word amenuensis or a transcriber, okay uh, Dr. Luke and Tertius seem to be the ones who were his amenuensis This is tough sometimes Amenuensis there's yeah. Yeah, so plural would be amanuenses right? So Anyway, Dr. Luke and Tertius seem to be the ones who are called to serve that purpose for Paul the most. I wrote that word in your notes so that you could try and figure out how to say it, okay? But that's what it was called, and it basically meant somebody who was a recorder. Uh, You know, he he transcribed for someone who was uh, giving a dictation. So this is the dictation, and in his opening, um, the two of, of who he's sending this to is quite long. And it's a little bit chopped up, so follow with me. So he starts with Paul. Now this is Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, a Jewish convert to Christianity after a dramatic experience on the road to Damascus, where he actually was visited by the risen Christ Jesus. And being a very religious Jew, being a Pharisee a, a of the highest order, a zealot um, as well, he was a Jewish zealot, uh, he made it his mission then, in other words, to seek out and persecute those who were followers of The Way. And The Way was the first, uh, the earliest known name for Christians in the first century. It was a positive name at the time, The Way. Um, he would arrest them, he would persecute them, he would pursue them, torture them, and even, uh, if need be, approve of their execution um, in order to stop this message about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the living God, the promised Messiah. At least that's, he felt like that was a false message and he wanted to. Seek out those who are following that and, and persecute them and torture them and make them stop. Because the Pharisees and the Jews of that time did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul, he says, a bondservant of Christ Jesus in the New American Standard. In the ESV, it says a servant. Um, and by the way, the Greek word doulos uh, literally means a male slave, a bondsman, a man, a man of servile, uh, servile condition, one who gives himself up to another's will who is devoted to serving another individual to the disregard of his own interests and his own life. So this is somebody, uh, when when it says doulos in the scripture, it means this is a, a person who has bound their lives together to another. And he is a bondservant of Christ Jesus. So Apostle Paul introduces himself as a bondservant or a slave of Christ Jesus, and that by the will of God, he says. Now, according to both, 1 Corinthians 1.1 1, 1 and 1 Corinthians 2.1, he was called to be an apostle as well. And he says that as well in his opening. So notice, by the will of God he was called. He did not appoint himself to be an apostle. And this is important. Many people today claim that they have received the office of apostleship. Okay? And that's ridiculous. And why is that ridiculous? Well, they didn't see Jesus. They've not seen him physically. Uh, they, they were not sent out by him either, and they did not receive power from the Holy Spirit and, and, a, and the ability to perform miracles. These people are are frauds, okay? And the Bible tells us that there will be people in the end times who claim to be apostles, and that we need to be careful of those people, and we need to avoid them. So the office of Paul's apostleship was bestowed upon him by God in his will, and it was approved by the other apostles, Okay, so the other apostles who definitely did see Jesus in his flesh before he was crucified, they heard his testimony and they prayed and they uh, counseled with one another. And they said, this man has seen Jesus Christ. This man has been sent by God. This man is an apostle. So it's not just his word. It's the it's the will of God and uh, through a direct encounter with Jesus Christ. And it was approved by the apostles that, yes, this is he is he is an apostle. So if you turn to Acts 13 2 if you want um, I'm gonna read it, but he was sent forth by the Holy Spirit um, who also came upon him to do great miracles So in Acts 13 2 it says while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said to the Apostles Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul aka Paul For the work to which I have called them There is his approval by not only the Holy Spirit but by the apostles. So back to our text in the last part of verse 1, Paul was set apart, holy. Remember we talked about holy being set apart. He was holy for the gospel of God. He was set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand. Set apart, consecrated, is that word that we talked about, uh, holy being, made holy for the gospel of God. We just studied that last week, and Paul was set apart as holy to do this work. Turn to Titus 1, 1 through 3, and this is an introduction Paul makes to uh, in his letter to Titus, and he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So God entrusted Paul as an apostle. He was set apart and entrusted with the ministry that he had been given to proclaim man's salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and to take that word to the Gentiles. Okay? So, I want to I see a few nods. Everybody getting this point of how Paul was called? Okay, got it. It was a calling of an apostle, which he most definitely was. So Paul understood that it was God's plan, his will to be the one to fulfill it according to the prophecy recorded in the Old Testament. Okay? So Paul was set apart By the will of God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, verse three, concerning his son who was descended from David, or as the New American Standard says, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. Okay. We know that God, uh, you know, when he sent Jesus, Jesus was not, he didn't have a father, an earthly father. He had an earthly mother, but he, he was born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had impregnated Mary with uh, the seed of Christ. So um, that's why it says in the New American Standard concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. So he was born of God, but he was also born of the flesh. So Jesus was, was a descendant of David. Matthew 1.1 1, 1 says the book of the earthly genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And of course, you can follow the genealogy as well and actually tie Jesus to the lineage of David. So Jesus, God's Son, was born into the world as flesh. Emmanuel, the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was born as a human, 100% man, yet also 100% God, born unto us as flesh. He was descended from David. Okay, that bloodline. Verse 3, according to the flesh, uh, he was born uh, unto us according to the flesh, and he, Jesus, verse 4, was declared to be the Son of God. The prophesied Messiah. In Hebrew, the word is Mashiach. Okay? He was sent down from heaven by God the Father to be Emmanuel, God with us, to be born as flesh. In Greek, the word is Christos. Okay? Christ. Christ isn't his last name. It is the title of of what we call him. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ of God. Okay? He's the Savior. Um, So he was to be born of flesh, yet to be fully divine, to fulfill the will of his Father. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son from his rightful divine place in heaven as the second person of the triune God to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay? So he was sent forth by the Father to redeem us through the prophesied crucifixion. He must endure death as the sacrificial lamb to pay for our sin and he was to be the sinless man on the earth and the only one who could possibly be that sacrificial lamb. And, of course, that's who he was. Now, 2 Corinthians thirteen four says, For he was crucified in weakness of existing in the form of human flesh, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you we will live with him by the power of God. Now, what that means is he was crucified in the flesh, Okay? But he was raised in the power of God because he was God. And we also are weak because we, have, we live in our tents of flesh, right? We are weak, but we will also live with him by the power of God. We will be resurrected as he was resurrected. Okay? In this way, Jesus, the Son of God, was sent forth from God the Father with power. Verse 4 continues, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now that's a long chopped up kind of way to bring uh, an entrance of, of two, but he's not done yet. Verse 5, Through whom we have received grace, through whom, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, or to create disciples among all the Gentiles for his namesake. You could say that as well. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's who it's from. <laughs> that's, the, that's the from. From Paul. All the rest of what we just covered. Now, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is much the same greeting that Paul gave in most of his letters uh, to the churches, if you look back at the epistles that we've studied in the past, you can look at 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, 2 Corinthians 1, 2, Galatians 1, 3, Ephesians 1, 2, and 15 and 16, Philippians 1, 2, and 3, Colossians 1, 2, and 3, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, and 2, 2 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, 1 Timothy 1, 2, and 2 Timothy 1, 2, and 3. And what you're going to see is that he says often the same type of a thing, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He also, in many of those passages, describes himself as an apostle called of God. Okay, so it's very interesting to see how he always identifies himself. So we believe he is the author, not the transcriber, not the writer. We believe that was Tertius, but we believe that Paul, because of this opening and because of him introducing himself this way, that we believe this is accurate that he is he is the author of Romans. So verse 8. He says to them, Now, this is who who's writing this, it's from me. It's to all of you in Rome who who are loved by God and called to be saints. And verse 8, now he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul says, God knows it to be true that your testimony is. As believers in Christ is going forth into the world and I thank him that it is so Paul said the same type of thing in the uh, to the church in Thessalonica in Thessalonians 1 verse 8 about their faith and their testimony throughout the world okay he said for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything in other words You guys are living the way that you should as Christians and word is getting out and people are talking about your church. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) That's what we're praying for in this fellowship, okay? Continuing in verse nine of our passage uh, in the New American Standard, I'm going to use it now. Paul says, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, okay? Now and I'll do it in the ESV. He says it this way. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Okay? It's a little difference, but same message. Right. So he's saying God is my witness. Okay? By the way, he used that phrase also in Philippians 1.8, 1 Thessalonians 2.5 and 10 uh, in Romans 9, 1, in 2 Corinthians 1, 23, 11, 10, and 31. When he uses it, he does it as a way of saying, the truth of what I say to you is irrefutable. okay It's not swearing, but it is uh, saying that God is actually witness to what I am saying. okay So it's not a swear to say God is my witness, unless, of course, you're using it in vain. (laughs) If you're using it falsely, then, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. But if God is your witness and, and what you're saying is the truth, then that is saying, this is my testimony. So when you go to court and they say, you know, do you, you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so up you God, that's the same kind of thing. God is my witness. This is what I'm saying and it's true. So uh, God knows it's true and God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Okay? In Acts 24, 14, Paul declares that the God whom he serves is the one and the same uh, as the God of the Jews proclaimed in the Torah and in the prophets. He says, I worship the God of our Hebrew fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. That's the quote from that verse. Okay, But here he adds not only that he serves the same God, but that he serves the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ. He finishes the thought that God knows that what I say is true, uh, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now I just want to interject one thing here: uh, How often you know somebody says, "Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me?" And, and we're like, "Yeah, we'll pray for you." Okay, we frequently as Christians, "Yeah, I'll pray for you." And then you pray for him, maybe, or or maybe you think, "Well, I'll pray for him when I get home," or "I'll pray for him when I'm in my in my prayer closet," or "I'll pray for him when I'm doing my Bible study," whatever. <laughs> And then sometimes you don't, right? I mean, that happens, right? I I mean, I've done it. Uh, But I would encourage you, if you're going to tell somebody you're going to pray for them, do it like Paul. God is my witness. I don't cease in praying for you. I pray for you all the time. Okay, so when you're telling somebody you're praying for them, pray for them. Pray for them right then. Pray for them at the next meal you have. Pray for them when you go to bed. Pray for them when you get up. That's what he's saying. I pray for you. I remember you always in my prayers. um, That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So he's praying for them, and he's also praying to be joined together with them. He cares for his brothers and sisters. He loves them, and he longs to be with them um, so that he can serve them. He wants to go to Rome to serve them, to minister to them, and that they may encourage one another. Okay, Verse 11 says, (coughs) For I long to see you, that that I may impart to you some spiritual gift of mine to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wanted to share the gifts the Holy Spirit had given him with his fellow believers in Rome. He longed to encourage them, to enrich them, to edify them, to embolden them, to exhort them, to be all that God has called his holy people to be. Paul wanted to be with them in order to serve them, but he also wanted to be served by them in the same way. He wanted them to encourage him and embolden him and strengthen him and edify him. He wanted those same things that he wanted to give. Do you know that when you come to church, it encourages me? You know, Do you know that when you, when you come to church and sometimes you say things God has wanted you to say that so that I could hear it. You think I come to church or Weston comes to church and we don't get convicted? You're wrong. We come to church to hear the word of God just like you. <laughs> and when I come to church and, and I say something, even just about, just here's a perfect example, like the prayer thing. I, I have to confess there are many times that I have said, oh, I will remember that in prayer, and then I forget. I, I've done that. And, and when I read this passage, I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. When I when somebody says, "Will you pray for me?" I need to stop and pray for them. And Brother Weston has always been a really good example to me, even even just he and I together, and it, it, not just the church and you and me that relationship, but he and I. There have been so many times in the in the what six years now we've known each other. Um, my prayer life was nothing like it is now. Before I met him, he's a man of prayer, and and when I when I met him, and I, the first time I met him, I asked him to pray for me. and we, we prayed right there. all right. And it was because God had laid a ministry on my heart that I felt like I needed to be doing. And I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to call it. I don't know exactly how to make this, how, to, how it's supposed to manifest in my life. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. But I know that God's calling me to do something. And he said, well, let's pray about it. And we did. And, and Love Bears All was shortly after that born, The the charity that we have in this community and it's and and then of course this ministry was born out of that as well so but it's because a man said let's pray about it and we prayed about it right there and he continued to pray for me and I know that he did and that's the kind of thing you know I get convicted and I get encouraged as well by things that you all say you know um, I mean not I don't need you to say hey that was great or whatever we don't need that and and Weston would agree with me You know, glory to God if you were touched by a message, but please give the glory to God. Don't give it to us. But when you come to us and you encourage us by saying these kinds of things, man, I I really learned something. The Lord really taught me this. Those things I love to hear. It encourages my spirit. It encourages me when I hear people come and say, I've been reading ahead, or I've been studying what you guys wrote in those notes. That just, it just... Thrills our hearts, doesn't it, Weston? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, we just rejoice because you're becoming disciples. And we see that. We actually see it in each one of your lives. So when you are touched by something that the Lord has done for you and you want to share that testimony, yeah, I'm all for hearing it. But please, and I think Weston would wholeheartedly agree, we, we don't need to hear anything. Um, we're not anything special. We're just sharing the, the word as the Lord has revealed it to us with you. And and there's nothing that we're doing that's special. So um, thank you, but let's give glory to God. Um, but Paul wanted to share these gifts that the Holy Spirit had given him with his fellow believers. And, and, and so he wanted also to be served by them. So it, it, isn't that also just another, isn't that just truly what you desire when you come to church? I mean, doesn't your heart long to serve others here, but you also really kind of want to be served as well? I mean, isn't that true? Don't you come to church hoping that in your worship of God, you might have an opportunity to minister love and uh, and, and to be ministered to in love by them? I think you do. I think that's why I wanted to go to a, a body of believers that was like-minded. Uh, I, I wanted to go to a fellowship where I could share my hurts and my joys and my praises with people and also hear from them. And then we could pray for one another and we could minister to one another. So I believe that's why... Um, that's, that's why we come to church. And, and if not, perhaps you're confused about your role in this body. Uh, your role in the body of Christ as God has defined it, you're called to be alive and functional in the body. You are called to be a functional part of the body of Christ. No matter how small of a part, you are called to be functional in the body of Christ. The, the head of the body is Jesus. But we are the parts of of the body that do ministry and and, and the body ministers to its parts in him. We minister to one another and we also minister to him. Okay, Worship is not just coming in and singing songs and hearing a message from the word. Worship is ministering to God. It's ministering to him. It blesses him when you raise your voice in worship and when you lift your heart up To him and say I want to hear what you have to say to me from your word. That's worship And when you go and you minister to one another, that's also worship When you serve in your giftedness, that's also worship Okay, all of these things are worship. It's not just doesn't just mean singing songs Okay in ministering to one another in love. Did you know that we also minister to God? The answer should have been yes. We bless we honor we glorify and we revere him When we serve one another in love as his word commands The commands of God are that we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love each other as we love ourselves. And that we give of ourselves in ministry to others as Jesus loved us and gave Himself up for us. In being obedient in love toward one another, we are obedient to Jesus' commands and we fulfill the law of God. Okay, Verse 13. So Paul continues, and he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. In the Greek, adelphoi can be translated either as brothers or brothers and sisters, brethren. It refers to the body of believers, okay? It doesn't just mean just the men, okay? So he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some fruit, is the word in the NASB, that I may reap some harvest, is the word in the ESV. among you as well, uh, as among the rest of the Gentiles. So what he's saying here is that he has intended to come to the Romans for some time, but up until now he has been prevented. Okay? You can also see in Acts nineteen twenty one where Paul had resolved in the Spirit to see them, the Roman believers, just as he did the believers in the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17-18, where he said in his letter, We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, but not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So he was prevented by who? By Satan. Satan, And and yes, it's true. Satan does put obstacles in the way of Paul doing what he had planned to do in ministry. So we should also expect that Satan will do what he can to stop us from doing the work of the ministry as well, right? So when you're doing something God's called you to do, don't Don't think you're just going to be able to skate all the way down there and not have some bumps along the way. Satan's going to try and do everything he can. That doesn't mean that we need to fear Satan or his demons. That is not at all what I'm saying. Nor does it mean that we should go around hunting demons, okay? Um, This is something I want to make sure everybody understands. I know many good-hearted and well-intentioned Christians go around seeking to rebuke and to bind uh, demons around every corner. Uh, It's important to note that that is not necessary for an obedient, spirit-filled Christian to do. It's not necessary. If you walk by faith, God will provide the way. Okay? Now back to verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest from among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul is not seeking a monetary gift. That's not the harvest he's talking about, or the fruit, depending upon your version. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about a harvest of spiritual fruit that increases to their credit, okay? So as he also said to the Philippian church in Philippians 4:17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, okay? So what he's seeking here is he wants to uh, reap a harvest from them of growth in Christ. He wants to see that they have become true disciples of Christ, that they have grown in the knowledge and the wisdom of God. That is a harvest he wants to take, okay? not looking for money. Verse 14, I am under no, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians or the non-Greek Gentiles is what that word means. Anyone who's uh, a native of other lands, as it said in Acts 28, two are are barbarians. But he says, I am under uh, obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is what he's saying. I'm under obligation. He is obligated. He's obliged. He is compelled he is constrained or required in his service to God to preach the gospel. Now in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Why woe? <laughs> because he recognizes the importance and the urgency of the calling that he is under to share the message of salvation with the lost. He understands that he would be much worse off spiritually speaking, when he stands before God, if he does not preach the word. he If if he doesn't share the gospel, if he doesn't disciple new believers, he knows he will be called to account for that. And his calling is tantamount to life itself. He understands the commitment that he has with God and is driven by that calling in his life and he seeks to please God by being obedient to it. And, And I just want to tell you the Two pastors that you have here, the two brothers who are standing as shepherds in this flock, we both feel that. Woe to us if we do not preach the word. And woe to us if we preach it and not be preaching it rightly. (laughs) We want to preach the word of God and be correct about how we preach it. And we know it's that calling that we have to do what we're doing here, even though we're nothing special, trust me, we are not, but we know that that calling, it's tantamount to our lives. It's more important than life itself that we, that we come and do this. So you will not see us in the future, I'll just tell you this, I'm going to be very forthright with you, we will not close down. And if for some reason we are stopped from meeting in this space, we will meet in another But we will not close down I don't care if it's a virus I don't care what it is I don't care if I go broke we're gonna preach the Word of God okay so this is just this is our calling just like he feels that calling imagine how much more he felt it okay verse 15 so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome for I am not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In Psalm forty nine through 10, David says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. That is the same kind of thing. I am not ashamed to speak of my God, to speak of his gospel, and to share Christ. In Mark 8, 38, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's strong. That's something we need to understand. If you are ashamed of the gospel, you need to know that Jesus will be ashamed of you. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, and in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says it again in a different way. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The word of the, of the gospel is the power of God, the power to save our sinful souls from hell. It is the power of God unto salvation. In Mark 7, Jesus spoke with a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile whose daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit. And he said, let the children be fed. The gospel of salvation is what he's referring to in his being said. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ah, doesn't mean he's calling her a dog. Okay, It means he needs to feed the Jews first, this gospel. And then those who are second need to receive it. But this word picture means that you feed your kids the prepared nourishment at the table, not your pets. Okay? Your children take priority. Why were the Jews a priority? Because they're God's chosen people. Okay? And I don't have a problem with that, by the way, folks. There are people who do in the Christian church who feel like that that, we shouldn't teach that. The Jews were God's chosen people. Let's not forget that. We were grafted into the vine. They were in the vine. And Jesus came from that bloodline. But this woman, knowing her place before him as a Gentile, as, as one who is not a Jew, in her utter humility of heart, she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, You may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Wow, that, that gets me. This woman said, Lord, I know I'm not, I'm not worthy. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from under the children's table. Just give me a crumb. Just let me lick off the floor. And in that humility and that faith, he said, for that statement, go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes in him. Everyone who believes he died for our sins and rose again as victor over sin and death. Jesus' gospel of salvation is the very power of God for those of us who by faith believe in him and are being saved. Verse 17, for in it, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or you could say, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed beginning and ending in faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That is a reference to Habakkuk 2, 4, 2, four. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteousness of God is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, revealed through the merciful plan of God, the good news of salvation for mankind from their sin. Jesus is revealed in the gospel to us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, the righteous one, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the righteousness of God, but because he went to the cross, the righteousness of God is imputed upon those of us who believe. So we become the righteousness of God, even though we are unrighteous. The righteousness of God had been pursued by the Jews through the law for umpteen years, right? Yet no man could completely follow the law, and sin kept them from the expectation of, of perfection under the law that God had. That perfect and holy God had an expectation of perfectly obeying the law, yet no man could do it. They were not even aware that they needed to pursue any righteousness of God. The law was not given to them to reveal to them their sin and their need for redemption, and they were living as the walking dead, blind in their sin, with no hope of justification through regular sacrifice uh, to God for their sin. The the, the Jews had no way to appease the anger and the wrath of God over their sin, except for through sacrifice. Well, those who weren't Jews, they, they they weren't even aware. They didn't even know they needed to pursue any righteousness at all. They didn't know they needed redemption. They, they were just walking dead, spiritually speaking. Um, not but you know, spiritually speaking, they had no life, right? And, and, and they had no, they were blind in their sin with no hope of, of, of justification because they didn't even know about it. So here's Roman people, Gentiles, and they were just lost, right? Look at Romans nine thirty through 33. We're going to bounce ahead just a little bit. Romans nine thirty through 33. Paul says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they, the Jews, did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, Yeshua, the Mashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. So the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness have now attained it through Christ. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, they didn't succeed in reaching righteousness. The the expectation of that law so they didn't attain The Jews did not pursue it by faith but by works So what is it that we need to take away from that? Don't work for it folks Jesus did all the work when he said it is finished on the cross. That means he's done doing all the work. It is finished You don't have to do that work now as a Christian You should continue in good works. You should do good works as a believer in Christ. But you do not earn your salvation, so don't try. He already did that. Place your trust in him. So the application today, number one, examine where you are in the faith. Are you called of Christ as a believer? Step one, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have not believed that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, then place your faith in Him now. Only He can save you from your sin. Number two, are you a bond servant of Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Him as a slave surrenders to his master? If not, let go of the love of your own life and give your life to the author of life. Only God can bring you joy, peace, and satisfaction in this world. So serve him and him only. C, are you obedient to God and his commands? Do you follow the commands of our Lord? He commanded that we love God with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength. Do you love him that way? With everything that you are, every fiber of your being? If not, deny yourself today and love him as he deserves to be loved. He is your creator and your God. He's holy and he's perfect. He's loving, he's just, he's righteous, and he's true. And only he deserves your obedience. D, is your faith being proclaimed by others? Do other people speak about you in ways that describe your faith? Do your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and even strangers say, now that man or a woman is a God-fearing man or woman? Are you known as a person of faith in Christ? If not, why not? You should be known for your faith in Christ because your life should be different. You should be producing spiritual fruit. E, do you serve God in your spirit? Does your heart long to please him? Do you bless him? Do you praise him? Do you honor him, glorify him, lift him up and magnify him? Do you seek to please him by doing good works as a believer in his son? F, do you long to serve other believers? Do you desire to serve the brethren, the Adelphi, brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you long for opportunities to bless others by using the gifts that God has given you? Do you search for those opportunities daily? G, G, do you allow others to serve you in their giftedness? Do you humble yourself to allow others to, the opportunity to serve you with their God-given gifts? This can sometimes be very difficult. Do you seek to encourage, to edify, and to exhort them by being a receiver of their gifts? H, do you share his gospel with others? Do you willingly and eagerly share the gospel with the lost? Do you seek opportunities to share the love of Christ with those who are going to hell and are in need of a Savior? Do you have a plan prepared of how to show them the way to be forgiven and receive God's free gift of grace through faith in Christ? You know, a simple way is just to share the image that was at Golgotha, at Calvary. Jesus in the center cross and two thieves, both abusive to him and despising him. And mocking him. And yet one had a change of heart. And placed his trust in his Lord. He called him Lord. And and he said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said to the other thief, don't you fear God? Don't you see that we deserve what we get? That was a repentant heart. He realized he was wrong. And then he declared Jesus is Lord. And that's all it takes, folks. You don't have to take them through a long theological discussion. Just share with them that if you understand you need a Savior, that you are a sinner and in need of a Savior, and you feel that, you know that you need Him, and then you know that He's the one who is the Son of God, He is the Savior of the world, and you confess Him. You will be saved. You will be saved. I, are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Do you get embarrassed and shy away from telling others that you're a Christian? Do you feel scared to share that Jesus is your Savior and the Lord of your life? Do you fear reprisal or mockery or ridicule or rejection because you're a believer in Jesus? Folks, do not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In the gospel is the power to overcome sin and death and hell. Jesus is the conquering king. Do not be ashamed of the message of the king. If we are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us. Let's pray. dearest Heavenly Father, I, um, I thank you for this morning. And I just, you know, blessed be your name. We come before you to honor and to uh, worship and to praise you this morning. We opened your word in the book of Romans this morning, and we see that Paul is your called servant, obedient to serve you and your people who are outside of, of the chosen ones. He was unashamed of the gospel, and he proclaimed it in love to those who were in need of hearing it, those who were on the highways and byways who weren't in the invited guest list. And Father God, I I, I, please, I just ask that you would give us the same zeal for the kingdom, the same burden that Paul had for the lost, the same fire in our bellies to be the people of God that you want us to be and to be unashamed of the gospel. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.